speak this morning on uh, a passage of Scripture from Second uh, Corinthians 8, verse 1. And I want to speak this morning on the sin of poverty. The sin of poverty. I'm getting really a bad ring for some reason here, Gary. Turn it down. The whole thing. Like that. Like that. Okay, now. Uh, I want to speak on the sin of poverty. And if this, uh, if this makes you defensive already because you feel poor, why, uh, you stay with me till we get through. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, because poverty involves uh, something far greater than, uh, than how much money we have or uh, how much income we have or, or any of those things. And uh, it isn't a light thing. We're talking about a spiritual attitude, uh, a, a warping of, of a spirit, soul and body, a, 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 a destitution of character that uh, ministers and, uh, and has its effect on families, their whole nation. You can go into the nation of Mexico and you can see what the spirit of poverty uh, that has come in the guise of religion that has done to the nation of Mexico and the evidences are there. You can go into South America, you see the same thing. You can go into India and uh, you can see the same thing. You can go into many areas of the world and you'll see the, the, the terrible impoverishment of, of, of uh, life that begins in the, in the spirit, it moves into the, into the soul, it uh, lays hold of the mind, manifests in the family, manifests in the nation, and manifests in, in, in character and development. And, uh, and uh, it, it just is a, is a tremendous thing that, to consider this morning as we, as we go into God's Word. And I know of no other thing that hinders the gospel as much as the sin of poverty. God has not created you and I to be in bondage to poverty in its right relationship and right understanding. When God created man, he blessed him, and, uh, and he intended that he be blessed, and, uh, and uh, a man has sinned and fallen short, or he does not reach the target, because that's really what sin is, and God intends that his people uh, will, not, uh, will not be bound and impoverished in their, their spirit, their mind, their body, or their beings, or their personalities, their lives, their families, or their nations. And so I want to examine a very interesting passage of Scripture in Second Corinthians 8. If I could minister to you there, I want to read verse 1, and you read verse 2 on through verse 15 of Second Corinthians chapter 8. The sin of poverty. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wither the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. This is literally, we make known to you, verse 1 says. You folks sound exactly like Methodists. Amen. Would you try uh, people that are full of the Holy Ghost and love God on verse uh, 4 when we get to that? For to their power or ability I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Mm. 
This they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For I mean not that other men be eased and you burdened. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Poverty this morning is a curse. And as we examine that, I'm sure that you're going to understand that from the biblical standpoint. Now, uh, the world tries to solve this problem. We have programs, we have food stamps, we have welfare, we have housing. All of these are of good intention, and they are of honorable intent. But anyone who understands human nature and understands their outworking understands that there's far more involved in life than simply the material resources that are laid in people's hands, that there's something more that is involved, and, and in spite of all the programs that man has, has, uh, has engineered and that man has entered into that there, there is there's something more than simply giving people some housing, giving people some food, giving people some money, or meeting their material needs. There's something higher. And Jesus said a very telling comment concerning this in the Gospels. And he said, the poor you have with you always. Now, when he said that, he was making an, an, an underlying uh, comment upon a facet of, of human nature that is, that is a permanent facet of man that is under the curse, and that is that, that, that mankind that is under the curse has something working in his spirit and in his, in his soul and in his life that is far above simply the amount of goods that he has in his hand, but is a higher power, a higher law, and that law is a curse of mind and spirit that is at work in the human race. And if you are observant at all, you soon begin to understand that that law is in effect. In this passage of Scripture, we read the word poverty. And that word is a word that literally means beggarliness. It means a destitution. It means an impoverishment. It literally means that something has transpired 
in human nature that, that, that is laying hold of the flow and the forces of life that is restricting man from being what God has intended that he should be. This is a spirit. It's a spirit that we could call a spirit of poverty. There's a spiritual curse that goes beyond the laws of return. And that spiritual curse has laid hold upon man's spirit and has caused something to happen down inside of him that has restricted the working of God's blessing and of God's life and of God's nature and is making him to fall short or to sin from what God has intended that he should be. Something is at work in the human heart Something is at work in the human spirit. Something is at work that makes him impoverished and makes him destitute in his spirit. You see, I preached about, I don't know, January or February on prosperity. And as we began to examine this word prosperity and find its, uh, its uh, basis in the Bible and its exposition, we discovered that prosperity was a, a, a grace that was in man's spirit that enabled him to make the right decisions and having made the right decisions to act upon the right decisions thereby bringing about and releasing certain laws of God in his nature and in his being that were expressed in life. Then conversely, poverty then is making the wrong decisions. And the wrong decisions that issue out into life that bring about certain circumstances and certain events that bringing about a bondage in his life and it has nothing to do with how much money you have. You can have a lot of money and be very poor. Or you can have very little money and be very wealthy. Jesus brings this out in, 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 in the book of Revelation as he's speaking to the churches there. He speaks to the church of Smyrna, and he says of the church of Smyrna, he says, uh, he says, I know your poverty. I know at the present moment your lack of material resources, but he says you are wealthy. And he says of the Laodicean church, you say, I am rich, and you say I'm increased of goods, and I have need of nothing, but you do not know and understand that you are naked, and that you are destitute, and that you are poor, and that you are, 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 are uncovered, that you are literally, that you are crouching and cringing as a, in a beggarly attitude. This is what Jesus says about the church of Laodicea. So here we find, then, that we can have great resources and be gripped of the spirit of poverty or we could at the present moment not have a great deal of material resources and yet be very wealthy because the spirit of prosperity is resting upon our being. John D. Rockefeller is a man at the age of 52. At the age of 52 is an extremely wealthy man but he was a man that the spirit of poverty was upon his entire being he cried out he was a beggar with millionaire, with millions in the bank. His stomach was eaten up with ulcers. 
He was a selfish, greedy, self-afflicted man that looked inwardly all the time, but God had mercy upon him, touched this man's soul, brought a transition in his mind and in his spirit, and he became one of the world's greatest givers in all of history. John D. Rockefeller found that what it was to receive a spirit of, of, of prosperity and be brought out of poverty. See, I know people and have met them through the years that make thousands of dollars and yet can never, ever make ends meet. They're impoverished. They are beggars. They will say to me, Pastor, I can understand it. I'm, I, I, I'm just not making enough money. And I say to them, would to God that half the world had your problems. But the problem is that a spirit has laid hold of their mind. A spirit has seized hold of their soul. And that spirit that has laid hold of them is a spirit of poverty, is a curse upon the human spirit that came when Adam chose to follow his wife and chose to eat of the fruit of the tree. He cursed his descendants with a cursing spirit of poverty. God said to Adam, because of his sin, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground. For dust uh, thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. In Deuteronomy 28, the Bible has an interesting event, and I won't go through all the things, but, but half of Israel stood upon Mount Gerizim and half stood upon Mount Ebal with the valley running between and the roadway up above Jacob's well from Shechem. And as they stood there, they pronounced blessings and cursings. Deuteronomy 27, Deuteronomy 28. And as he pronounced these, on the one hand, one said, Blessed shalt thou be, and the other said, Cursed shalt thou be. In Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, verses 20, verse 29, just a couple of excerpts that we bring there, says, The Lord shall send upon you cursing and vexation and rebuke in all that you set your hand to. And he mentioned pestilence and blight and mildew and drought and defeat and fear and confusion. And he says, You shall not prosper in your ways. Now, poverty is a spirit. When Adam sinned in the garden, God had created man out of the dust of the earth. And when he created him and shaped him and formed him, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. As God created that living soul man, that man was transcendent from earth. Though he was resident upon earth, he was an expression of God's dominion. He was an expression of God's kingdom. He was an expression of God's government. There was a direct connection that came from heaven and was expressed through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was in man, and he was a transcendent creature. Though he was resident upon earth, that which was working in his life went far beyond the natural and transcended the laws of nature. But, when man sinned, that spirit died 
And what came upon him was the workings of the spirit of poverty and taken from him was that transcendence. And therefore God said to him, of the dust of the earth you were formed and of the dust of the earth you're going to return because you have sinned. I am taking from you that transcendent quality and now you're going to be subject and the earth is cursed and all of your life you're going to eat and you're going to eat the fruit by the sweat of your own brow and the glorious transcendent working of my blessing in your life is lifted. Now you're going to continue to exist for a while until you finally perish in the body but there's no blessing going to be upon your life. Poverty is a spirit. That spirit lays hold of man's spirit. It affects his soul. It ministers in his mind and the transcendent life and breath of God that made him a creature that was not limited to the laws of cursed earth and that did not limit him unto this world but made him in a direct connection with heaven where he was transcendent and God's blessing and overflow was supernaturally working in his life was removed and the sin of poverty came upon his life. Having laid that groundwork, let's move on to lighter things, which is the deliverance from that condition. Now, this is not some gimmick. I was in, uh, my wife and I were in Sydney, uh, West Australia, and we were in an elevator up on an upper floor of a hotel, and we were coming down, and there were two Japanese people. I don't know uh, whether they were tourists or businessmen. There are thousands of Japanese all over the world. Every place you go, in every airport all over the world, you see Japanese. And so I have no idea whether they were tourists or what, but they didn't understand any English and they didn't read any English. And somebody had apparently <clears throat> pushed all the buttons on this elevator because this elevator was stopping at every floor. And these two Japanese men were on the, on the elevator when we got on, and, and they did not understand how elevators worked. <laughs> when you get on an elevator, most elevators are automatic in modern building. All you have to do is they push the button, they stop, you get on, the door stays open for a little bit, and then automatically it closes, goes on down to the next floor or whatever, and it continues that process, and all you have to do is step on, and it just automatically does its thing, and you wind up on the floor that the button you push. But he didn't understand that. Somewhere up above, when the doors were slow closing, he had pushed a button that he had no idea what was about, and it was an alarm button. And so when we got on and we're waiting for the doors to close, as they always do, he pushed the alarm button, jabbed it a couple of times, and the doors closed. He grinned. <laughs> he, did, he just really done a shot. And so uh, it stopped at the next floor, and the doors opened, and there was nobody there. They, they, they did this all the way down the building, but it no sooner would open until he started pushing the alarm button. Had nothing to do with the doors, whatever. It didn't affect him at all. But he thought he, and he just grinned, and I kept trying to say, it'll be all right, it'll close him out. But he didn't understand that. <laughs> Isn't it strange how human beings sometimes get involved in circumstances and uh, and uh, now he thought he was closing those doors but he was having nothing to do all he's doing is ringing a bell that clearly said alarm but he couldn't read that he thought that was closing those doors I picked up a paper 
I don't know whether it was American Family Weekly or the. I don't remember. I don't even remember. I've seen several of these because I just uh, they pass over a lot of them. But but advertised there was was a was a supernatural cross. If you send off your bucks, you could get this cross, and it would bring you health, prosperity, and deliverance from chillblains and most anything that you wanted. Put your marriage together, and it was a supernatural cross. Now. To you and I, that is absolute stupidity because I know that there's, an, uh, there's another one. It's a little, it's a little b- bottle, a little bottle that you wear around your neck with some holy water from Jordan in it. And if you wear this on, all kinds of testimony, tremendous things, healed marriages and, and eyesight return, oh, just all kinds of things that happen. You and I know that that's stupid. But there evidently is a lot of people that don't know that's stupid because they spent thousands of dollars putting that in there because they're going to make some money off of that. See, this has nothing to do with life. I know that. But a lot of people don't know that. I get these letters, these computer letters. Dear Brother Mitchell, I had a terrible burden for you. God spoke to me about you along with 3,497 other people in America. And so I'm writing you this letter. And if you put bucks in this and write down your prayer request and send it back to me, there's going to be health, prosperity, and blessing come upon your life. Stupid. You don't know me from a knot in the wall. So quit lying to me. I've seen the blessed wallets, the blessed claws. Do you ever get one of those blessed claws in the, in, the, in the mail? The blessed claws. Put the blessed cloth in and it's already been prayed over, and it's going to bring you health, prosperity, and etc. It's not going to do any such thing. It's a gimmick. And I'm not talking about a gimmick this morning. I'm talking about a powerful deliverance of redemption that is wrought by God's hand that will minister to you. And the Scripture says that we read this morning, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Now here we have a tremendous blessing. We have a redemption that God has wrought on Calvary's cross. God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. God has accomplished something that we could not accomplish there on Calvary. Jesus died in our place paid the debt for our sin, he has been made a curse for us uh, that we might not pay the, the penalty of the curse. Uh, he was made a curse for us, and he delivered us from the curse uh, of the law because when Jesus died on Calvary and he shed his blood uh, for our redemption, God worked a miracle, and he gave the ground for the breaking of the spirit of poverty. Are you following me this morning? See, here's a tremendous deliverance. God doing something for us which we ourselves of our own merit do not deserve. We don't deserve to have that gift. 
We don't deserve to have that done. There isn't any gimmick that we can work to bring that to pass. There's no, there's no slick move that we have. It's already been done. God has accomplished it. It was accomplished by the blood of Calvary where Jesus paid the penalty for a broken law and obtained eternal redemption for you and I. For God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God has solved the problem of the poverty spirit. And he has broken the yoke of poverty, and this was done on Calvary's cross. Now this is an interesting passage of Scripture that we have before us, because in this passage of Scripture, what literally is, de is declared here, as Paul is writing, and he's writing about this tremendous transition of, 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 uh, of the overflowing and the transition uh, between the natural and the supernatural, the transition between the spiritual and the material. He's talking about money. He's taking an offering. And as he says that, he makes this tremendous declaration and makes the application. He says, Jesus became poor that you might have your needs met. Are you still with me? So what we're talking about this morning, then, is a breaking of the yoke of poverty. I'm not talking about a money tree. That you give your heart to Jesus and down in front of the church comes a great big money tree and you just go pick off $100 bills and, and it's all come. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a gimmick where you send in $20 and somebody sends you a blessed wallet. You just carry that around and somehow... Just $100 bills are going to come floating into that wallet. I'm talking about something far higher than that. I'm talking about a spiritual deliverance. I'm talking about something that works at the very root of the problem. Something that ministers to the bondage of the spirit of poverty and lays hold of that warping of personality and that warping of mind that causes man to make the wrong decisions at the wrong time and causes his, his mind to be impoverished and he has tunnel vision or he does not have the ability to understand what it is that God is working in his life and in his heart. And I'm talking about God ministering and bring about something in us that causes prosperity. See, poverty is one of the gates of hell. If you do not fully understand that, there are some of you that are far enough along to understand what I'm saying. Poverty is one of the gates of hell. It is one of the strongholds. It is one of the restrictions of the passage point of life's flow of God's life, that transcendent quality of God's Spirit that moves in man that causes him to have wisdom and causes him to have judgment to make the right decisions at the right time that brings the right results. What we're talking about this morning is a working of the Holy Ghost whereby God breaks and overcomes the gates of hell. Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, mankind is, is heir to deception. He's heir to lies. This enslaves his mind. It impoverishes his spirit. 
It destroys his creativity. He has no heart to perceive. He has no eyes to see. And he has no ears to hear. There's a lack of wisdom. There's a lack of judgment. There's a lack of, of, of allowing the moving of God's Spirit that transcends heaven and gives an expression of God's wisdom and God's supernatural working in his life that keeps him in poverty. And that's what Jesus came to heal. And my friends, there are many people that are saved that still are bound by a spirit of poverty. Are you still with me? They lack the wisdom. They make wrong judgments concerning employment. The wrong judgments concerning the managing of their finances. And it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, you could bail them out, and I've done this. Bail people out with thousands of dollars, and uh, it simply does not solve the problem. Because there's a deeper problem, and that deeper problem uh, is that there's something inside uh, that has not been released uh, and has not been delivered. Uh, that is, uh, that their, their material or financial standing is just simply an expression of that. And I'm not putting you down this morning. I'm preaching because I love you, and I'm preaching because I know what I'm talking about, because I'm a man that loves people and counsels people constantly. But it is a terrible tragedy to see people who love God and who want to serve God, but the this, this spirit rests upon their minds and they simply are not able to make the right decisions. And that's what prosperity is. It means making the right decision and doing the right things at the right time in the right places with the right people. When we were in Australia, there was a man that ministered in Australia. This man that ministered is a minister of the gospel, but he has a spirit of poverty. So he got up and preached to the ministerial body. He was mad, really, because Ronnie Burrell just put a great big advertisement in the paper. And up until we went there last year, nobody ever advertised in the paper. They wanted one advertisement concerning anything. It was just church listing like we have in the Prescott Courier Foursquare, and this is where they, they are, and that's where you can find them if you, if you hadn't would want to go to church. And so here's Ronnie Burrell with a big advertisement. Potter's House. Purse first Christian night spot. Boy, he was fried. <laughs> and so he wasted a lot of time explaining to this ministerial body that you don't have to advertise in papers. But if you've got the goods, God will just bring them in. Well, my Bible doesn't say that. It don't say anywhere in the Bible. You find you a building, and you just set up shop, and God will bring them in. But it does say that the Lord gave the word, and great was the company of them that published it. <laughs> it does say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It does say, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. It does say that you and I are to go and that we're to, with wisdom and uh, with, uh, with knowledge, we are to reach people where they are in whatever level they are and bring them to the king of kings that they might be saved.
man had a, a spirit of poverty. Because he was too tight to spend some bucks advertising. He had more problems than that. I bent him out of shape last year. I preached on these little bags that they use over in Australia. You ever see these little bags that you hold on a stick? They hold comfortably about $20. We're talking about God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and, uh, and, and they're reaching the whole world with the gospel and we're carrying around little bags that'll hold about 20 bucks passing among God's people. We're talking about world evangelism. So I preached on that last year. Those things were inspired in hell. Can you imagine anything? Ooh, it ended up setting something fierce. I call them devil bags. That's what they are. And I preached in their convention last year, and I said, what I'd do if I was you is to get rid of those things and give me some big baskets that God could fill up and use to, for the gospel. He got upset at me. <laughs> See, I've known this fellow a long time, so I, uh, I'm qualified, because I took him out afterward and worked him over some more, too. And so... He got really upset at me. I, I used to pastor with him way up in the northwest, and he's over there. So, uh, and but see what he, what he what he didn't say was that one of the pastors in that local area had people in that in that same service. That's all he heard in that whole service is those little bags, and it just warped him. But one pastor had people in that in that service, and they went out of that service, and he shared with me the week before that uh, uh, that. Uh, uh, out of that one sermon that I preached, uh, that they were able to build a new parsonage, uh, and, and uh, so much extra income was generated out of that one sermon that I preached of his people that had convinced they were able to do all the extra things last year that they wanted to do because of one sermon that was preached. Poverty of mind. You see... Well, I could go further than that. That guy had one, one party in his church that dropped $2,500 the next week for outreach. And one lady came to me this year and said, Pastor, I heard, your, I heard your, uh, your sermon last year on tithing. And I was in that convention and I committed myself to tithing. And she said, I'd, 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 I'd sold some property and I was going to send it to Watsy's-Face wherever he is. And you said it belongs in the storehouse. And so she said, I brought it and put it in my church. That was this guy's church. I should have told him, give me that money back. <laughs> put it somewhere where they believe but I didn't so we're talking then about a breaking when Jesus does his work in a man's heart and life there is a breaking of that spirit that impoverishment of spirit and mind there's a releasing until we begin to believe that God is who he says he is and that we are the expression of his purpose upon earth and he that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he that says the silver and the gold is mine, is willing and is able to move through us and accomplish his purposes upon her. And there's a breaking of that yoke of uh, poverty that lays hold of man's mind. And we begin to understand that Jesus was made poor, that we could have our needs met. I want to talk about the release of this for a moment, and I conclude. And this involves vision. Here is Abraham, and he's at Bethel. While he is at Bethel, God says to him, Abraham, I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to look north. I want you to look south. I want you to look 
east, I want you to look west, and I want you to look at all this land, Abraham, to you and to your seed will I give this land. Just a few verses from that it says, And the Canaanite was then in the land. Now Abraham, in his natural thinking, could have said, and the Canaanites, if you don't know who they were, they were fierce, mean, bloodthirsty, vile, perverse people. And they filled the land. They were the inhabitants of that land. He could have said to God, Thanks, God. But instead... He rejoiced in faith and gave glory to God because by faith he saw the vision and he believed that he was to be the vehicle of God's blessing and purpose to establish God's dominion. And he took God at his word and he began to praise God for what God had said. You see, we have to have a vision this morning. And it's important that we do have this so that we can understand that we are to become the vehicles of prosperity. God this morning does not, is not interested in simply giving us a blessing of giving us a vision, and as He gives us that vision, though, so that we can have uh, the goosebumps and when we can rejoice and say, well, we've got some theological knowledge. But He gives us a vision this morning that we become the vehicles of prosperity and vision, and He makes us the instruments and the vehicles of the distribution of His blessing, and that blessing involves prosperity of spirit so that God can accomplish His purposes upon the earth. Without that vision, there's no reason for you and I to exist as believers. God might as well take us to glory if we're just going to get saved and hold up in four walls and say, Now, God, you bring in those people that you need to come in. He might as well just translate it and take us to glory because we are of no help if he just simply gives us and says, look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, and look to the south. And we say, thank you, God. Well, that's tremendous. This is wonderful. And, and we do not become the vehicles uh, or we do not become the instruments of the expression of the spirit of prosperity out upon the world in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what we're talking about, the key to release this morning, is the grace of God. That's mentioned there in that, in that verse of Scripture. And the Apostle Paul touches these people with the Word of God, and he says, Now, you've, you, you abound in utterance. You, you've got to, you speak in tongues. You prophesy. You give messages in tongues. You interpret in tongues. And he said, Thank God for that. Now, he says, You have knowledge. You, you've been studying your Bible. And you've got uh, basic theological knowledge. And he said, Thank God for that. But now, he says, There's another grace that you need to abound in. And he said, I want to talk about that grace. And he says, I want that grace to abound in your life. I want it to overflow. I want it to, to pour out upon you. And so he says, See that you abound in this grace also. Now, what was happening was that there was a desperate need of gospel ministry in a facet of the gospel in the city of Jerusalem. These people were located in Greece, in Macedonia, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in this area. And as they were located there, in the, in the city of, of Corinth, uh, rather, down in the isthmus of, uh, of, of the nation of Greece, 
They were of another culture. They were of another nation. They were probably three to four weeks across the ocean. They were completely removed. They were diverse people. And Paul is writing to them, and he says, there's a need for the gospel in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to cause the spirit of prosperity to come into your life and heart. I want you to feel a need for a people that are of a different culture and a different nation, and let the grace of God work a miracle as the spirit of prosperity lays hold upon you. See that you abound in this grace also. You see, prosperity this morning is a spirit that is received when faith lays hold of God's Word. Poverty brings the expression of the spirit of mammon, the spirit of covetousness, that spirit that is assigned to withhold money and resources from the kingdom of God, that lays hold of men's minds and gives them narrowness of thought and brings them down to two and two, always make four, and that we are locked into our capabilities of what we see and what we can do, but a spirit of prosperity lifts us into the transcendent capability of God and lets us know that God is able to do what we cannot do because of His grace. Now, you see, it takes grace to cause a people to feel a need of reaching out beyond themselves and becoming a vehicle and an expression of God's blessing beyond their own capability or beyond somewhere where they personally are going to get a benefit or see it. And Paul's talking about something these people will never see. They will never talk to these people. They will never have any involvement with them of any kind. And he says, what I'm talking about, I want a disposition of God's Spirit to operate in your life. Thank God you speak in tongues. Thank God you have knowledge of revelation. But now, he said, I'm talking about another disposition of God's Spirit, a working of grace in your life that you are able now to reach beyond yourself into another land and to be God's expression of blessing to another people. Deuteronomy 8.18, listen carefully now what I'm saying, says, Remember the Lord your God. It is He that gives you power to get wealth. We're talking about something that happens in man's being. We're talking about something that crosses the barriers of man's own talent and causes the working of the Spirit of God in his life. And God says, I'm the one that gives you power to get wealth. He might have added there, which he did a little later, and uh, that I am the one also, that if you do not respond to this, I'm the one that will cause the spirit of poverty to come upon you because of disobedience, and the wealth that you have will be dispersed when the blessing is lifted. The Scripture declares this morning another passage that I want to read, First John 3, 8. The Apostle John, or three, two rather, in, in, uh, in, the, in the epistle says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Here then is what God is bringing to pass through a working of Calvary's cross. God can move in men's lives and there's a transcendence of God's natural law and God brings His Spirit down on the human level and begins to work in grace upon men's hearts and then there is a blessing that God brings prosperity, not only of soul, but also in the natural income or the natural affairs 
matters of our capability of making and of using money as stewards in the kingdom of God. Proverbs says there is a scattered yet increases, but there is that which withholds more than is fitting, but it tends to poverty. See, we're talking about a transcendency beyond the law of return. We're talking about something that goes beyond our own capability, goes beyond our own human talents, it goes beyond the love returns and brings something more than simply a mechanical operation of man. We're talking about an operation of the Spirit of the living God that transcends that and begins to work in men's minds and hearts. When I was in Australia, it was the greatest thrill to see many of these Australian pastors that had attended the the, the churches in Arizona and attended the conference in July. We invested money in those people. We sent them into Mexico uh, so that they could see the working of a crusade down there, gave them as much exposure, and then we, we took care of them while they were here at the conference uh, uh, last July. And my heart was thrilled, and, and you can't fully understand what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about a mind that is impoverished, that cannot think beyond what they can do with two by two equals four. And that's a terrible thing when you're in the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. Because, my friend, when you're looking out there at three people and talking about world evangelism, it takes a whole lot of God to get you over the hill where you can finally begin to crack into an area that God begins to work. When you're talking looking at people that are just common people like we have assembling here, there are no wealthy people, there are no millionaires, and yet you're believing that God can work, and from this place it takes, my friend, a miracle of God. And what blessed those people as they came is they went into little churches of 35 and 40 people, and not only did they ask them to speak, and, and uh, not only did they house them and feed them and take care of them, but they took love offerings for these Australians, and it just blew their mind. They, did, they could not handle that at all. They don't do that in Australia. They don't even talk about money in Australia. Because they're impoverished of mind. Impoverished of my, I was I was uh, in a in a in a in a city, and the pastor took me by this city. And Arthur Blessed was there in a park. This is the first time they'd ever done this. They had a park outreach. Had about a thousand young people there. And Arthur Blessed was preaching the gospel and giving an altar call. And I said to the pastor, "How hard is it to get that park?" He said, "There's no problem at all." I said, "Have you ever done a, a a film outreach there? You can pull that many people with a film without Arthur Blessed." And he and locked in his mind was the thinking that unless he had Arthur Blessed or David Wilkerson or superstar Joe. He could not see God work. I said, oh, you, if you get a film and advertise it, you can pack just as many people in there and do it yourself. He said, I, I never thought of that. <laughs> to think, this is the first time they ever had gotten outside the four walls and done a meeting. And it was blowing his mind. I'm talking about my friend, a prosperity of spirit that locks us into God's transcendent capabilities and powers and enables God to work in our lives and bring to pass what He wants to do. See that you abound in this grace also. Tremendous stories told of Isaac as God moved upon his life. This is told about in Genesis, the 26th chapter. There's a famine in the land. There's a drought in the land. 
As the drought is in the land, Isaac is getting ready to travel into Egypt to sustain his family and his livestock. And God speaks to him and says to him, Isaac, I want you to stay in this land. This is the land of promise, and I've promised to bless you here. In the midst of drought, if you would see the, the place that this transpired, it would boggle your mind because it is, is, is desert land. It was at Gerar. And God said to him, Isaac, you stay here and plant in this land. And there was a terrible famine and a terrible drought in the land. And the reason Isaac was going is because his resources had run out and he was on his last resources. He's headed into Egypt to live. And the scripture says that Isaac obeyed God. You see, the spirit of prosperity means that you are yielding and submitting to God's spirit and obeying and letting him prove through you the transcendence of the laws of the heaven above. The scripture says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man waxed great and went forward, and he grew until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. There's an illustration of the spirit of prosperity. There's an illustration of the breaking of the bondage of poverty. See, you and I, as we're seated in this building, we're facing again. They're telling us there's a recession coming. They're telling us that inflation is out of hand. They can't handle it. We don't know what we're going to do. Things are happening everywhere. We went into Australia, and, uh, and uh, uh, when we cashed in for the money that we had to spend there for expenses, we cashed in, and they took 19 U.S. dollars for uh, to give us one Australian dollar. By the time we came back out, we, we'd lost seven dollars. We cashed out at twelve. <laughs> you go, oop, boop, 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 boop. And this is happening in the world, in every currency. It's going like that. In our natural minds, we say, God, uh, there's, uh, uh, we, better, we better be careful and store up an asset. We better quit planting churches and quit worrying about people in Australia and Holland and Mexico. We better take care of the home folks. Anybody ever feel that way? But you see, we're not limited to the natural laws, friend. We are tied on to God who is in heaven above. And the same God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob and the Apostle Paul and the New Testament church is the God of 1978 in Prescott, Arizona. You ever pray for Prescott? You ever pray for jobs in Prescott? You ever pray that God will bring industry and commerce into Prescott? I do. It's no surprise to me the Embry-Riddle came into Prescott. It's answered prayer. They say it's one of the best things ever happened. I'm thanking God. Because, friend, to do what you and I are doing means our people need to be employed and they need to be in places where God can bless them and further them for the kingdom of God and minister through them and make them vehicles of distribution of His prosperity. That means homes. Say, it's going to ruin our city. Thank God for that. I was raised here. About time there's some new blood came into Prescott. 
<laughs> Woe to the old politician. Glory to God. God has worked a miracle and Prescott is bringing forth and prosperity is coming to this city. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes as I draw this conclusion. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As we have spoken of things eternal and things spiritual, I've not spoken particularly this morning concerning your soul condition before the Lord, and yet it has been implied in what I spoke. And there are people here this morning that are not saved. There are people here this morning that are backslidden, and you're not right in your heart with God, and you really are feeling your need of the Lord. I'm talking about blessing. I'm talking about taking out of the confusion, taking out of the fear, taking out of the, of the, of the, of the uh, uh, destitution of, uh, the, of spirit, the poverty, the impoverishment of your mind that affects your entire life and your family. I'm talking about the blessing of God that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow thereto. I'm talking about the kingdom of God resting upon your soul and God blessing you as a believer in Jesus Christ. While we pause just for a moment, I wonder all over this building how many there would be. Something inside of you is being tugged by the Holy Spirit. You know that you're not right with God. You really, you, you really don't understand all that I've spoken about this morning, but you do understand one thing. You understand that you need God and that you're not saved. Would you lift your hand right there where you see it and say, Preacher, would you pray for me this morning? I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'd like to make a decision. Would you pray for me? Or I'm backslidden. I'd like to get right with God. Before you change the order of this service, would you slip your hand right up there where you are that I might see that hand and God might see it and take note of your indication of your soul need and we could pray for you. Would you slip your hand right up there where you are in a moment's decision? Say, Preacher, this morning I need God. I'm not saved. But I'd like to be saved. I'd like to come to Jesus. Would you take that decision just for a moment? Amen. Backslider. Unsaved man or woman all over this building. Changing the appeal just for a moment, the scripture declares, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give them to your bosom. For with such measure as you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. God says, I'll break the natural law if you become liberal and let the spirit of prosperity come upon you and the spirit of poverty be broken by my grace. God says in the book of Malachi, Will a man rob God? But you have robbed me in tithes and in offerings. Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse, saith the Lord, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you shall not be able to continue. I rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I rebuke the powers of poverty, the powers of spiritual delusion and deception. I'll bring you wisdom and judgment if you'll obey me. There are people here this morning that are not tigers. And God's dealing with you. The tenth is the Lord's and offerings besides. You are not a tither. I'm not talking about putting some money in the plate once in a while. I'm not talking about dropping a $20 bill on the preacher when you feel good. I'm talking about the tenth of what you make giving to God. If that is not happening, then you are robbing God and the spirit of poverty rests upon you. You may have thousands and thousands of dollars in the bank today. 
But my friend, don't count on tomorrow. Because you are captured by spirit of poverty and covetousness, idolatry of material substance, and the demon spirit of mammon, the spirit, the demon spirit that is with a sign to withhold from God's kingdom and God's glory, you're bound by that spirit, but you can be free. While we're pausing for a moment, I wonder how many people say, I'm not tithing this morning, Pastor, but I want to be a tither, and I, I commit myself from this moment, I will begin to obey God and let the releasing of prosperity come upon my life. Would you slip your hand up in honesty of heart all over this building? How many with uplifted hands? I begin now, Pastor. I will give the tenth to God from this moment in the name of Jesus. For you remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sakes, that you through his poverty might be made rich. That means salvation, forgiveness, blessing. How many would lift their hand while you're seated here? Say, from this moment I will begin to obey God. I'm going to be a tither from this moment on. Would you lift your hand all over this building? How many? Amen. All over the building. Lift your hand. I see that hand. God bless you. There's another hand. God bless you. How many more lifting your hands all over this place? Say, I'm not a tither. I have not been a consistent tither. I'm not talking about tithing one week and then not tithing again for six months and then tithing. I'm talking about a consistent giver of the tenth. How many more would lift your hand and join these in honesty of heart and say, Preacher, would you pray for me this morning? I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? A hands uplifted. Join these honest hearts. You want to release God's spirit of blessing upon you. I see your hand. God bless you. See another hand. God bless you. How many more? Lift your hand. Say, Preacher, I want to begin to be a tither. God can count on me from this moment. Would you lift your hand right there where you're seated? So I want to become a tither, and I'm going to do it from this moment. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? Lift your hands. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? Lift your hands all over this building. Say, Preacher, I'll begin to tithe this morning. God can count on me. I'm going to become a part of his forever family. I'm going to become a part of what he's doing in the earth today. God bless these honest hearts. Father, touch these that have lifted their hands in submission to the Spirit of the Lord. God, give them the, the continued working of the Spirit to bring forth faith to act. Lord, we know this morning that prosperity is laying hold of God's Word and acting by faith upon the Word of God. And this morning we take you by your Word. We believe you, Lord, that if we'll be faithful, you release to us the transcendent workings of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we ask this for all of these lovely people that have lifted their hands this morning in obedience to the Spirit of God. Touch them. Lord, I pray there may be a consistency, there may be a deliverance in the name of Jesus. And you're going to bring this to pass, for I've asked it in Jesus' name. Our heads are still bowed, our eyes are still closed. This morning.